Good morning, new community. It's great to be with you today. My name is Joseph. If we haven't met yet, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, feel free to grab that and go ahead and turn there. Uh, Before I offer my reflection on today's scripture and uh, talk with you a little bit about what I sense God speaking to us this morning, um, I just collectively want to take a minute and open our hearts and our minds to what Holy Spirit might want to say to you this morning. Um, So if you would, just right where you're standing, or right where you're seated, um, just take a moment as best you know how and open up your heart and your mind to Holy Spirit. So whether you have faith or doubt, whether you have a lot of energy or apathy, uh, just bring your authentic self to this moment. So let's just ask God to meet us. Come Holy Spirit, be our guide. This morning we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the second week of our Holy Spirit series, and today we are talking about desire. We are talking about the theme of desire. We're looking at what it means to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about actually what those gifts of the Spirit are, everything from prophecy to tongues, words of knowledge, all the really exciting, fun stuff. But today, I want to focus more on who we are desiring before we look at what we are desiring. Because if we just talk about the gifts, if we just talk about what I like to call the stuff Holy Spirit does, without talking about the giver, we're actually missing the whole point of who Holy Spirit is. So my goal for today is to show us that when we desire the person of the Holy Spirit, Before we desire the power of Holy Spirit, we actually get both. Now, I know, as Kevin mentioned last week, the topic of Holy Spirit brings up a lot of different emotions for all of us. I don't know, maybe you're new to this community or new to faith, and the idea of Holy Spirit is very fresh and new and very confusing for you. Maybe you're like me, and you grew up in a pretty conservative background. I grew up in a very, very, very Baptist church, uh, and Holy Spirit was not some someone or something that we talked about very much outside of maybe like Holy Spirit helped write the Bible and then convict you of sin so you can get saved. And then it was just like, that's really much, that's pretty much the summary of what my relationship with Holy Spirit like, was like. So there might be fear Uh, There might be doubt or questions, and that's totally okay. If you were with us last week, Kevin shared all Sunday about that, so I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast if you weren't here. But this morning, I want to show us that regardless of our past experience, whatever our relationship with Holy Spirit looks like, today I want to encourage us that stepping into a vibrant and exciting and intimate and life-giving relationship with Holy Spirit is actually something that you can do. It is actually simple and is something that all of us can do regardless of what our experience or relationship with Holy Spirit is like. So with all that said, let's turn our attention to our text for this morning 1 Corinthians 13, very short, just two verses. Um, I'll read them for us, and then we'll dive in. 
And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now in these few verses, Paul is showing us what life looks like as we live in step with Holy Spirit. And this is 1 Corinthians 13, which if you've ever been to a wedding, is like the love chapter. It's like the chapter that everybody reads at their wedding, which is beautiful, but it's also a little bit weird because this has nothing to do with like marital love. It has everything to do with life in the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and what life looks like when we live in step with Holy Spirit. Paul is showing us that all the stuff that Holy Spirit does is rooted in love. And as you can see, before he writes, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, which again, we're going to talk about in a few weeks, he writes, the greatest of these gifts, the stuff that Holy Spirit does, is love. Follow the way of love. And if you read this scripture in context, you'll see that for basically two whole chapters, Paul is laying out for us what love in the body of Christ looks like, how to love your neighbor, how to serve those around you, how to operate in a posture of faith, hope, and love as you walk in step with Holy Spirit. Paul is showing us how love is the anchor and the foundation of our entire life with God. It's almost as if what Paul is showing us here is that you could have all the amazing stuff that Holy Spirit does. We could be a community that sees healing and is regularly operating in the prophetic and we could see words of knowledge and we could do all these amazing things. But if we don't first have love for Holy Spirit, it's not really worth much. Because our relationship with Holy Spirit has to be rooted in love for a person. And our desire for the stuff that Holy Spirit does, which is beautiful and amazing and exciting and encouraging, should never outweigh our desire for Holy Spirit as a person. And if we get that backwards, we'll end up using Holy Spirit to get what we want And if you've ever seen that happen, it perpetuates a lot of harm and abuse and toxicity in a community when we sort of use Holy Spirit to do what we want to do. But if we can grow in our love and desire for Holy Spirit as a person, then the stuff that Holy Spirit does will naturally flow out of that intimacy and love and relationship with Holy Spirit. Now, There's a lot of stories that we could use throughout the Bible to show the beauty and also the not beauty of what relationship with Holy Spirit does. But this morning, I want to use a story about someone who I think modeled this life of love and desire better than anyone else in all of Scripture. This person is far and away my biblical hero. This person is someone that I look up to. I try to model my life after. This is Other than God, this is like my hero. I have learned so much from studying this person's life. And that is, of course, as I'm sure you guessed, Mary of Bethany. Anybody else? Anybody else like Mary of Bethany? You're just like, yes, Mary of Bethany. That is my favorite. 
All right, nobody else, but that's okay. After today, probably, all right? But for the rest of our time together, I want us to look at the life and ministry of Mary of Bethany and see what we can learn and receive and apply to our lives. Sound like a plan? How are we doing? We all right? Everybody feeling all right? We're good? Okay, a couple nods. Okay, let's set the stage. There's two stories about Mary of Bethany that I want us to explore together. The first one is in Luke chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Um, But let me just set the stage. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is out doing ministry, and Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. And if you grew up in the church, you probably have heard the story of Mary and Martha, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick and he's on the verge of dying. And it's really, really interesting and almost weird because Scripture says that Jesus intentionally did not go back to heal Lazarus right away. Like he waited a little bit and then he gets back to their city. And in the story, when Jesus comes on the scene, Lazarus is dead. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to leave out a few details that are really, really important to the story, but we just won't have time to cover. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 11, verse 17. It says this, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now, in verse 21, notice what Martha says when she comes and sees Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want you to remember that phrase because it's going to be important. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. What happens next is just unbelievable. Look what happens. Verse 28. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. Now remember, Martha ran out to meet Jesus and yell at him for being late, and accuse him of letting her brother die, which is a completely normal and valid response to to Martha and the situation. Meanwhile, Mary is at home. She's grieving, she's weeping, she's struggling, she's even doubting that Jesus could have saved Lazarus. And Martha runs back home with this message. She called to Mary and said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. The teacher is here and is asking for you. Now, what kind of disciple must you have been for Jesus to ask for you? Again, picture the scene. Jesus comes back. Lazarus is dead. Everyone asked for healing But healing didn't happen, so now their only hope is a resurrection, which even for Jesus is a very rare thing. We only have a few instances of that in all of Scripture. They are pleading with Jesus for a miracle, for a resurrection. And Jesus' response to the crowd is, I need Mary. 
All of my disciples are here. They've performed miracles before. They've casted out demons. They've healed the sick. They've had words of knowledge. They've had all this amazing ministry. Jesus is like, I have a lot of people following me, lots of talent, lots of gifts, lots of resources. I could have used any of this for this Lazarus situation. I have lots of resources at my disposal, but I need Mary for this one. This, arguably the most challenging, most unbelievable supernatural miracles in the entire scriptures, I need Mary to do. The teacher is asking for you. Now this begs the question, why was Jesus asking for Mary? What was so special about Mary? What was true about Mary that wasn't true of the other disciples? Why did Jesus need Mary? What was special about Mary's relationship with the Jesus that caused Jesus to ask for her in this moment? Well, let's look at what happens when Mary gets there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now remember what Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now this is word for word what Mary said. So what makes Mary's Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Any different than Martha's, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same situation, literally the same family, same brother, same experience, same grief, same response, word for word. Now, if you know the story, Jesus sees Mary weeping, sees her spirit of grief, and the text says that he was moved in his spirit and deeply troubled. Spoiler alert, Jesus goes to the tomb, calls Lazarus out, and the man walks out of the grave. It's one of these most incredible miracles in this stuff Holy Spirit does in all the Gospels. And that's amazing, but I want to focus on what is happening with Mary. What made Jesus ask for Mary by name? If I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, I don't need Martha, I don't need Peter, or James, or John, none of my male disciples, they can't handle this one. I need Mary for this. The teacher is asking for you. So let's translate this story to 2021. Take any of the issues facing our world today. There are several. If Jesus was here in person and he was looking at the state of our world and was thinking to himself, if I'm going to heal this relationship with a roommate or a friend or a partner or a coworker or a parent, I need Mary. Go get Mary. If I'm going to eradicate poverty and homelessness in Spokane and ensure equitable housing for everyone, I need Mary. Go find Mary. If I'm going to create a community of safety for our LGBTQ siblings, I need Mary. Go find me, Mary. The teacher is asking for you. If I'm going to dismantle the systems and structures of power and white supremacy in the world, I need Mary. A lot of things I could do, but I need Mary for this one. 
If I'm going to help people flourish and get health care and food and housing and therapy and education and spiritual formation and joy and resources and see heaven come to earth and help new community be a safe and welcoming and meaningful, joyful place of becoming and belonging in the world, I need Mary. The teacher is asking for you. Now, I want to take one step further back in the story and look at answering that question. What made Mary so unique? What was true about Mary that caused Jesus in this situation to look at the seemingly impossible situation and say to everybody around, I need Mary? What was true about her? How did she live and what did she do that so moved the heart of God? What caused Jesus to look on her with such affection and even admiration? Why was this woman able to partner with Jesus to bring someone back from the dead? And the answer for both Mary and for us this morning is found in Luke 10 which, as I mentioned, is a story that you, if you grew up in the church or around the church, you've probably heard hundreds of times. But I think this story holds the key to a vibrant, exciting, intimate, life-giving relationship with Holy Spirit. And if you, like me, want to see this community experience the life-changing ministry of Holy Spirit, if that's what you want, this is where we have to start. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, there's so much we could take from this story, but as we close today, I just want to focus in on what Mary did and how Jesus responded to her. We see in the story that Jesus came to the house of Martha, and her sister Mary was there as well. And again, picture this scene. Martha is running around getting the room ready. She's working on the meals. She has a lot of people in the home. She's trying to clean up and get everything in order so that she can serve these people well. Maybe you're like Martha. Maybe that's how you serve. You want to get things ready and want to make sure people are comfortable and they're at ease and they're feeling welcome. But Mary doesn't get it, right? She's just like sitting at the feet of Jesus and this upsets her sister. But Mary is just captivated by Jesus. She feels accepted and loved and affirmed and chosen and encouraged just by being in his presence. When she's around Jesus, she knows who she is. 
She doesn't need the affirmation of the men in the room or opportunities from powerful people or the approval of anyone important in her life. She just wants to be with her rabbi. She wants to sit at his feet and learn as much as she can about this subversive, inclusive, loving, liberating message of peace and hope from this teacher. And Mary comes in and, of course, is like, hey, Jesus, I know you're sitting with, like, all these important men teaching them about life in the kingdom. I know that you're doing all of this amazing ministry. I'm trying to play my part, and Mary is not helping me. She's not concerned with those things. And Jesus responds to her in the most surprising way. He says, Martha, that's great. Thank you for doing that, but I'm actually not concerned about that. Out of all of the things you could be doing, what Mary is doing is most important. Mary has found what I've been trying to get you all to understand. Look at Mary. Mary was simply loving the person of Jesus, was spending time with him, was learning his heart, learning what he cared about, learning how he talked to people, who he hung out with, what made him upset, what ticked him off. What annoyed him? What, what did he prioritize? How did he spend his hours? What was important to Jesus? And apparently Mary had captured the essence of what life in the Spirit looks like. Mary had figured it out. It was love. It was desire. It was intimacy, but it wasn't a love or a desire for the stuff that God would do or could do. Mary wasn't concerned about getting anything out of this relationship other than just the presence of God. Mary wasn't the one with the most talent. Mary wasn't the most gifted. Mary didn't have the most resources, the most time, or even the most ministry experience. Jesus didn't need Mary to partner with him for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this community because she was like gifted or because he had seen her do it before or she had this long legacy of being somebody who just raised people from the dead. She was available. Her heart was filled with love. She wasn't using Jesus to get something out of it. She was walking in step with the Spirit of Jesus and hanging on every word he said. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. New community, this is where life in the Spirit starts. This is the foundation. This is the whole point. Because if we eagerly desire the stuff Holy Spirit does, which is beautiful and amazing and life-changing, but we don't desire the person, then we're missing it. We're missing the point. As activist, scholar, and public theologian Ruby Sales put it, love is the womb from which all life springs and flourishes. Love is where we start. And we're in this series of Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about some things in the next couple weeks that are really amazing, and I'm really excited to step into some of these things. But when we start with those things, 
then we have a tendency to just use Holy Spirit for what Holy Spirit can do. And use Holy Spirit for our own gain, our own benefit, and the things that we want to see in the world. But when we start with love, when we start with desire, when we start with intimacy and union with God, the stuff Holy Spirit does is a natural byproduct of those things. So may this community be a place where love for Holy Spirit is the womb from which we experience the presence and power of Holy Spirit among us. And so as we close, I just want to create space to do that right now, to just listen to Holy Spirit. Again, I don't know your experience with Holy Spirit. I don't know what this looks like for you or how this lands for you, if this is something you're super excited about or if this is something you're a little bit skeptical about or unsure. I just want to encourage you that it's okay and the best place to start is just by listening. So I want to invite you in this moment, we're just going to take a few minutes together and we're just going to listen to what Holy Spirit might want to say to us this morning. Say to you, say to us collectively as a community. So I want to invite you maybe even just listen with your body and one of the best ways to do that is just to open your hands, your palms in front of you just as a posture of receiving from God. Way to pray with your body. So together we pray, come Holy Spirit, move among us. Speak and lead and guide us. Let's just take a minute or two just to listen. As you continue to listen, uh, just a few things that I sensed God saying to this community over this last week or so of preparing. Uh, could be wrong, could not connect with any of you, um, and that's okay. Um, but I just feel like if this is for you, uh, I would love to pray with you after the gathering. I'll be up front um, here and would love to just hear your story and, and pray with or for you. Um, but two things specifically that I, I just sensed God was, was saying to us this morning. One, uh, just maybe for somebody who was nervous about coming today for any reason, maybe it was something to do with Mother's Day, specifically a relationship with a mother or a child, and, and you were really nervous about walking through the doors for whatever reason. Um, I just sensed God um, inviting you into a space of love and acceptance and affirmation um, and just really wanting to encourage you in that space. Uh, so if that resonates with you, I would love to pray with you after the gathering. And then the second thing that I got a sense was um, a bit strange, but just an image of a tree swaying in the wind. Um, and I, I, I got the sense uh, that it felt like the tree felt like it was going to fall over um, and maybe that was you, you're feeling this sense of like so much discord in your life and you're just swaying back and forth, and uh, I got the sense that God was just inviting you into deep roots of love. That was, that was the phrase that came to my mind, and so um, if either of those uh, resonate with you, I would love to pray with you after the gathering. I'll be up here. Again, if it doesn't and that's weird, that's totally okay. Um, don't feel any pressure, um, but I would, I would love to just to serve you and, and listen to what Holy Spirit is doing uh, in your heart. So 
Um, we're going to close here. I'm going to read uh, a benediction as we close, but let's just take another 30 seconds or so um, and just open our hearts and our minds uh, up to what Holy Spirit might want to say to you this morning.